Welcome to Inside USF, the podcast, designed especially for faculty and staff across our three campuses. I'm Tom Wolf with University Communications and Marketing. Every other Friday, you'll meet colleagues who are making a positive difference through their commitment to our students and communities, to addressing society's most pressing issues, and to our shared principles of community. Like you, they are helping to make this America's fastest rising public university. We're talking today about the holiday shopping season. Yes, I know, it's too early to be thinking about that. Maybe, maybe not. Joining me is Elaine Singleton, Executive Director of the Monica Wooden Center for Supply Chain Management and Sustainability in the Muma College of Business. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom, good morning. Good morning. Let me start by asking a bit about you. When did you join USF? Thank you, Tom. Well, I I actually uh, migrated to Tampa about uh, 20 20 to 22 months ago, so almost two years ago. Um, Landed in the fall of December 2019 and came from California where I was in industry for the last 38 years. And it was a great detour to be able to join the Muma College of Business and the Monica Wooden Center to uh, begin to explore and, and develop further the supply chain curriculum, the newly minted supply chain curriculum here at USF, and also to establish a really good quorum with business partners here in Florida and also the Southeast. Tell me a bit about your career before the university. Sure. So uh, I spent um, many years in distribution logistics and planning, um, primarily with, uh, cut my teeth with the Target Corporation early on and ran distribution centers for them all over the country in Texas and Utah and California, and went on and did a stint in store management. So I have a little bit of retail background as well, and then did, did a stint with the corporate office doing logistics planning, working with uh, merchants and allocation specialists to make sure that we had the right product in the right store at the right time. So also went on to work for e-commerce startup at Williams-Sonoma in the late 90s and then spent um, a good deal of time with the Walt Disney Company, um, their global supply chain management strategy, uh, and then more recently finished out my industry segment with Technicolor, which is a third-party manufacturer based in Paris. It's a part of a media conglomerate in Europe, Uh, but it is the same Technicolor that brought color to motion picture years ago, and it's a hundred-year-old company that was started by a couple of MIT guys way back and developed the uh, relationship with Walt Disney first, and of course the rest is history, and everybody thinks Technicolor is part of Disney, but it's really not. It's always been a separate uh, third-party provider to the Hollywood film and gaming industry in the form of physical media, packaged media, or pre- or post-production services, 
um, a number of other uh, media services. The Monica Wooden Center, what is its premise and what does it offer to students and to industry? Sure, that's a great question, Tom. So the Monica Wooden Center is um, a supply chain center that was brought about vision of uh, two professors here at USF, Jim Stock, who's been with USF for 38 years, and Donna Davis, who spent about eight years here at USF, just retired, recently retired. But her crowning achievement before she retired was um, getting the structure of the Monica Wooden Center up and running along with uh, her cohort in crime, Jim Stock. And uh, Monica came along and saw the vision and bought in uh, a very gracious lady who uh, developed um, her own company from scratch with her business partner um, 20 years ago. And it was really the first uh, cloud-based native web transportation management logistics system in the country. Everything else was associated with client-server relationships or legacy systems. And Monica uh, got on the map by developing this system. Um, 20 years later, she sold the company 2018 for over $450 million and endowed um, you know, a very generous gift to the Muma College of Business for a named supply chain center. The mission of the Supply Chain Center is really threefold. It's to, uh, it's to ensure student success. It's to engage business partners because the purpose is to develop talent and flow it into business partners and industry. Um, supply chain jobs are just over the top right now. There's more demand than there are students, and our students are all graduating, 100% are getting job offers within uh, the first month of graduation. That's impressive. Some of them actually are getting future-dated offers while they're in school, and about a third of our students that were in the May graduating class had three or more offers. So the, the demand is high. Uh, talent is, there's a dearth of talent, you know, in the supply chain industry. And Supply chain has evolved, as we all know. We've, we've all kind of gotten baptized this last year in what supply chain means, and um, many of us have had epiphanies around it, right? And it has changed, and it has evolved into a structure that is all-encompassing. It's all the financial flows. It's the customer flows. It's the physical flows. It's the technology flows. So, you know, in the past, everybody associated supply chain with sort of logistics, distribution, warehousing. It's really not. It's supply management overall, end-to-end, worldwide. So let me talk about that epiphany a little bit with you. I suspect that I'm like many other consumers. Until the great toilet paper shortage early in the pandemic, I really never gave much thought to supply chains. Now, we can easily find toilet paper in the stores, but there continue to be major disruptions in a wide variety of global supply chains. What we're seeing, it seems to me, is how even one adverse set of circumstances can affect economies and consumers across vast distances. So let me cite one example that I came across. In August, one dock worker at a port south of Shanghai tested positive for COVID-19, causing that terminal to shut down for several weeks. 
that's a long way away from Tampa Bay. But that is the world's third busiest container port. I assume that creates a cascading effect, doesn't it? What are the ramifications when something like that happens? Tom, that is a uh, that is a packed question here. I'm going to try to unpack it a little bit and unbundle it and and go one by one. I think the you know the toilet paper shortage is certainly the image that's seared in everyone's mind and you know, there really wasn't a toilet paper shortage. It was more about the allocation of the toilet paper. And when consumers started to hear that there might be a problem, they started purchasing in mass, um, panic buying. There was really no need for that. What, what ended up happening is the toilet paper, along with the chicken and the beef and everything else, is sitting in commercial grade packaging in warehouses all over the country, and there aren't enough workers to repackage, you know, the toilet paper and the beef and the chicken and all that. Plus, there are shortages. There are definitely shortages, which are all associated with the things that you're talking about, you know, a breakout of COVID here or there. You've heard the meat packing plants, you know, and beef has skyrocketed. It's double. Absolutely. You know, so it's, um, you know, the cascading effects are, you know, really sort of self-inflicted inflation, you know, because there's nothing on the shelf and you're willing to pay, you know, $22 for 10 rolls of toilet paper from Amazon. So those things are, you know, happening. Um, Getting back to uh, the ports for a second, you know, I was checking this morning, there's still about, on the average, there's about 320 to 350 container ships that are bobbing in the ocean with an average offload time of 40 hours when normally it's eight hours, you know, to get a ship into berth and completely unloaded. Well, and I've I've also read uh, about this tremendous backlog at the Port of Los Angeles. Absolutely. Like one of the biggest, if not the biggest in the U.S. There's four major ports in the world that are just completely clogged right now, and they are uh, Long Beach, Los Angeles, Singapore, and Yantian. Um, in South China and Shanghai as well. And, uh, you know, in China, they're experiencing uh, the rolling waves of Delta variant and having to manage that, although their production is starting to come back. They'll probably, they will not see uh, the numbers that they anticipated to see, but they're they're starting, the, the Chinese economy is starting to come back. Now, the Rest of Southeast Asia is struggling. We heard about Vietnam, you know, recently with uh, struggling with with COVID, but they're still a great source of clothing and uh, cars and and so forth. There's also so much happening in the world with just manufacturing uh, changes in flows. Do we nearshore? Do we offshore? Do we, you know, Ford is getting out of India, as an example. Um, you know, GM has been out since 2017. You know, they're starting to realize that, you know, this extension into, it's kind of like the Roman Empire, right? The more you extend, you better have, you better have the um, supply chain functionality and the um, mindset of leadership improvement and training and, you know, building a culture. And if, if you can't do that in another country, then you know, perhaps, and you're losing money, it's it's time to 
to, to move on. So we're seeing a lot of that. Um, in terms of consumers, that's a whole lot. of that, that aha or that epiphany is gigantic. Consumers are just gaga about home delivery, the hybrid. I was looking at some statistics uh, this week, and it, it, you know, while about 46% of purchases are made in a retail store, gro- speaking grocery primarily, and uh, consumer goods uh, that are their standard, you know, and customary in your home. The the uh, online purchases are, you know, upwards of 50%. And of that, you know, you've got about 50% of the online purchases are on the cell phone. Another, you know, 30% are on a tablet and the rest are on laptop. You know, so there's, you know, 50 per- you got Grocery shopping on the phone, but I think there's problems. You know, people are, you know, they're like picky, right? If I'm going to, I want the fresh vegetables and the fresh fruit. I don't want the stuff with bruises on it. So there's there's some retreat back to, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to do this. It's hybrid shopping. I'm going to, it's a whole hybrid consumer model. And, you know, you read about it, um, you know, it's just, you know, the, the channel prices are going to go up. You know, in all these omni channels, we've got, um, you know, consumers want more digital interaction. They love it. It's like one click and they're done for the day. Their to-do list is done. They want, um, you know, eco-friendly companies. They want companies that are conscientious about, you know, home deliveries. What's What's been created out of that? Lots of corrugate, lots of recycling, a lot more recycling than there was before, right? Sure. Uh, price sensitivity, willing to shop around online, and there's lots of options. And then they want it localized. They don't want to have to worry about, you know, waiting three, four days. They want somebody who's got it in their warehouse next door, and it's being delivered in the next two hours. So those are some of the trends. Uh, the Gen Z cohort, I mean, those guys are all about apps. There's apps to find surplus shots now, you know, COVID-19 shots. Um, remote work, look at that. You got Google struggling, you know, to get their workers back. And it's everybody's going to have to shift. So, Elaine, let me ask you about something that uh, I believe originated with the Japanese and was adapted and adopted around the world, just-in-time manufacturing. And again, from what I've read, it appears that's been disrupted pretty much everywhere. Can you explain what just-in-time manufacturing is, how it works, and what's been happening? Sure. Uh, Thank you, Tom. Um, Terrific question. Uh, You know, as I hearken back to your comment about Toyota and the Japanese who, who obviously adopted Kaizen and lean principles early on, you know, before anyone else really adopted them. And lean is lean and, uh, you know, uh, lean, lean manufacturing has to do with the reduction of waste um, and getting a customer value stream going where you're flowing value, quality, service, time, whatever it is, onto the customer. You're measuring it. And it's there just in time. You're not carrying excess storage stock. You're not carrying excess um, raw materials. You're not carrying components. You are 
flowing all of these items that go into a finished good into your facility just as they're needed. And that works in a perfect world. It's really quite slick. Uh, In an imperfect world where you've got supply chain disruptions that are probably happening at at a bigger rate than we've ever seen before because there's so many ramifications of just one disruption such as COVID, which we never experienced this generation. So this is all new discovery land. And I I think lean is going to, just in time, is going to take a back seat to some of the safety stock concerns, being able to position inventory. Um, That was such a no-no, you know, in the last 30, 40 years, mainly because you'd be walking through a warehouse and you'd see a box that was air freighted in from Taiwan to Memphis sitting on a shelf somewhere. And you can think about what was the cost just to have those items. Now they're sitting, they're dwelling for six months on a shelf. So that was, you know, the start of just in time to get rid of all that excess cost and baggage and flow that value prop onto the customer, lower pricing, better technology, higher quality. And now, which translates, of course, to presumably higher profits. Exactly, or you know, lower prices for customers, right? So it's it's beneficial to both. It's not a selfish game. It's a real, you know, it's a symbiotic game out there. Well, that's getting disrupted because now companies are going to be a lot more conscientious about safety stock, positioning their inventories, control tower technology to help them predict where the next tsunami is so that they can divert their ocean container to a different port, you know, instead of going out of that port. All these things are happening. It's not just weather patterns, but it's everything else. It's population shifts. It's, you know, and then there's the strategic planning that is being disrupted because now you think you had a 10-year plan and so many things have changed that you've got to insert new components into the plan and and regig it. I think back to earlier this year, we all saw the images of the huge container ship that was lodged in the Suez Canal. And at first blush, that's a critical route between Asia and Europe. The naive side of me says, so why do I care? But everything that you're describing suggests that something that happens that far away and was in a sense, it was just so distant that reality is those kinds of events do affect us as consumers here, correct? Absolutely. Um, You know, we talked about the 300 ships a day bobbing in the ocean. That's 116 ports that are affected by that. So the Suez Canal situation um, could have been carrying, you know, chips for uh, or transistors that were going to go on ships that were going to Warsaw, Poland. And, you know, they were going to go inside a, you know, a laptop or a phone or something like that. And all of those chips are sitting in the Suez Canal. And, you know, it does. Under normal circumstances, I think supply chains are a little more resilient. 
And this situation would have been disruptive, but without the COVID environment, or with the COVID environment, I should say, it just compounded, you know, even further. So that was just one example. Those things happen all the time. There's containers that fall into the ocean, you know, on a regular basis. So it's not unusual for those things to happen. This was a big deal. I mean, that you don't usually get a barge stuck in a sand, in the sand that's, you know, that large. But um, overall, it's, uh, you know, these things, 116 ports were affected by the Suez Canal, um, you know, stoppage. So, you know, the, these container ships are all sitting out there bobbing in the ocean and they're waiting for labor to unload them. So is that why there has been this shortage of containers? Yeah. Well, the, the containers, there's actually more capacity right now of containers. I think it's up five or six percent over last year okay. and prior years. But, you know, the the steamship line industry has been upside down for the last 20 years. And so this year they're going to capture more profits uh, than they did over the last 20 years. And they will be uh, you know, it's it's the way the economics roll, but they're in a position of, you know, high demand and they can call the shots. So prices go up. Consumer prices are going to go up. You've got labor in the United States that doesn't, um, you know, the, the demand for labor is so high. And this isn't a new issue in the U.S. Everybody thinks it's brand new. We've had labor shortages for the last 15 years, 20 years. So it's not new. It's just, again, exasperated. Suez Canal, not a new phenomenon that something like that would happen, containers falling into the ocean. It's just that it's exacerbated by every other dependency, codependency, contingency, whatever is related to that particular uh, movement in the supply chain. So labor shortage, all of us doing more ordering online, I'm certainly one of those people. And yet, there appear to be issues or issues in the offing for delivery services, such as UPS, FedEx, uh, the Postal Service. Um, And Amazon, don't forget. Again, this whole conflagration that is made worse by COVID-19? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, going back for one second before we jump into the delivery side, when we start looking at the inbound supply chain again, um, the, the, one of the key disruptions that's happening out there, and I'll get to the delivery side in a second, is the um, huge shortages in microchips and semiconductors. I'm glad you're touching on that. Yeah, I mean, these are essential tech tech components that are just in complete demand and, and completely short. Auto sales grew and manufacturers expanded. The auto inventories were depleted all during COVID. Um, so there's no auto inventory, new car inventory. You talk to people that are looking at Teslas, they're on order for a couple of years. Same with other manufacturers. And didn't Toyota recently announce that it was that it was significantly reducing production? Yes, yes, they did. And uh, you know, many many auto companies are again pulling out of countries that they had expanded into, such as India. China's about the only one that's kind of maintaining auto manufacturing growth. But many of the other countries, Mexico and 
uh, Vietnam and some others, um, especially India. You know, the companies were just pulling out. I think, um, you know, raw materials, all the things. Back back to the, the chips, though, for a second. Um, guess what happened during COVID? The reason that the chips were not allocated to cars is because they were allocated to phones, PCs, um, Logitech cameras in the home office. And why? Because people were setting up home schools, home offices, every piece of electronic equipment that was necessary was depleted. That's where everything was going. People were buying new cell phones, trying to get upgraded. You know, they're, they're just doing things around the Home Depot, you know, Lowe's, they're up 35, 50%. Uh, I was talking to somebody from um, Big Lots. Their, their biggest selling item, first time in the history of Big Lots, was mattresses all year. They had a shortage of mattresses because all the mattress stores were closed, right? Nobody could get a mattress, and Big Lots was the only thing that had them. It was open unless you ordered it online, I guess. So there's, um, you know, the business is bearing the brunt. Um, there's going to be permanent changes, and part of this gets to your delivery question, okay? Right now we've got, you know, we had the U.S. Postal Service, right? FedEx comes in, or UPS comes into vogue with package delivery. FedEx comes into vogue with air delivery. Um, they both expand on their air and ground services, so they're fully robust companies, Right. And you got now three different entities delivering every single day to every address in America. Then Amazon comes along and says, cuts deals with UPS and FedEx. And, you know, they're obviously on the map now. They've got their own charter delivery service and franchise and everything else. And um, so, so the change in the industry is that, you know, FedEx and UPS and a lot of the big guys, they've kind of pulled back now and, and re-strategized uh, their, their density, their uh, delivery, and they've kind of pulled back from the very expensive rural deliveries, and they're, they're focused on high-dense delivery populations and then kind of leaving Amazon to figure out the rural delivery. So that's kind of one of the shifts that's going on along with um, consumers expecting it to be free. I think that's going to change. I think there's going to be, a, you know, if the demand is for delivery, the next thing is consumer, you're going to be paying for the shipping instead of it being included. That was yeah, I've, I've seen references to the strong possibility that companies, no definition of who or how many, may well start adding a COVID-19 surcharge Interesting. That is fascinating. And along with companies, um, you know, demanding vaccinations as well. That's a trend that's out there. So, you know, workers are going to have some choices to make, you know, about where they do go for employment. And employers are going to have some choices to make about how they want to conduct the safety and risk environment in their work community. But back to deliveries, the big question I have is, and I don't know the answer, but how is it that there are four or five instances of deliveries every single day to every home in America? That, that begs a partnership relationship talk somewhere in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. 
what is your wise counsel to all of us as consumers as the holiday shopping season looms? So, Tom, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this because, you know, we've obviously got the you know, the online phenomenon, the home delivery phenomenon. We've got, you know, Amazon and other online retailers, e-tailers have been, um, they, they've just taken this all to a new level. So I, I think, you know, just some advice for moving into the shopping season is don't panic shop. You know, if you start hoarding everything, then there's nothing for anybody else. Um, you know, look for opportunities to share the wealth and figure out how to make the community a little bit more balanced when it comes to these surges in demand and supply or lack of supply. Um, consumer prices are going to skyrocket. Groceries are going to continue to go up. Um, you know, it's generally speaking, pricing has already gone up about 6% at the grocery store. The other thing that's happening is um, don't have high expectations out there. Taco Bell can't even get all the ingredients that they need, and they're telling people we don't have everything. You know, your, your taco is going to be short cheese, you know, or whatever it is. So, you know, I think consumers are, are going to have to be planning a little bit more about what they, you know, how they want to handle their holiday shopping. And it's, I just read that Walmart is actually closing on Thanksgiving Day. So there That's are, significant. Yeah. So there's a shift in thinking, too. It's not this, you know, hyper buzz about, you know, you got to get every, you know, it's I think I think there's just a lot more staged events heading into the holiday. Consumers should be wise about those things. If you wait to shop, you're going to pay an arm and a leg. I have seen a variety of predictions for when the whole supply chain situation may improve. What are your thoughts? Um, I think I think it's going to improve uh, steadily, but I don't think we're out of the woods for another year, year and a half, maybe two years. You know, there's there's so much repositioning of container ships that has to happen. Those things don't happen overnight. Um, inventory is not in the right places. Still, you know, when we talk about semiconductor shortages and microchip shortages and things like that. That's our world. So that alone is a trend to watch and, and to see how that's going to impact our world because it runs everything. It's the complete digitalization revolution, if you will. So digitalization is huge trend, more health consciousness. People are staying at home. You, 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 and that's, that's not going to stop. I think there's a comfort level with people shifting to this home environment. Um, you know, just in kind of listening to some of the experts out there, you know, prices for things like, you know, liquor through the roof, um, chlorine. That was caused not by COVID, but by, a, by the storm in Louisiana, one of the storms that knocked out the primary producer of chlorine. So chlorine pool supply prices were skyrocketing for a while. Ketchup. Guess what? There's a shortage of single-serving ketchup packets because restaurants have abandoned the bottled ketchup. It used to be just for takeout, right? Now it's for everything. Um, used cars. Because of the semiconductor shortage, 
you know, the only inventory that's out there is used cars, and they're going through the roof. You've got camping equipment, bikes going through the roof, you know, web cameras, flour, yeast, thermometers. People are cooking at home. Yeah, early in the pandemic, you couldn't find yeast. Yeah. Everybody was baking at home. Exactly. So some of those trends aren't going to change because people have now invested into their home. They've spent money at Home Depot and Lowe's. They've remodeled or they've downsized. They've bought some of the inventory that's out there. Home prices are skyrocketing. Interest rates are still low. So I think the, the home experience is probably where it's at for the next couple of years. And I think the supply chain is going to react in such a way. It's going to have to. It's going to have to. It's going to have to be different because we've already proven it can't support an at-home consumer. So what is it going to do to support it? It is a lot to consider, but also a great real-world education, I suspect, for your students. Absolutely. And some of the trends out there in, in the industry, the students are learning today in class. They're getting practical experience with things like artificial intelligence. Um, they're learning about continuous autonomous vehicles, which is going to happen any day now. The state of Florida has been laying the beds for 10 years. So there's that going on. There's lots of customization along with digit digitization. There's the Internet of Things, making everything with an app or, you know, ability to uh, control through digitization. Relationships, back to the delivery conundrum, right? When, how are relation, big relationships going to change? You know, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, some things that are going to evolve because the consumer is going to demand it. The other trend in industry is risk management and resiliency. There are whole departments and, you know, C-level people being, you know, lifted up into these roles because of the importance of security, especially cybersecurity. Exactly. Every aspect of supply chain, blockchains coming into vogue, which is the ability to secure data in its intact presentation without, you know, without giving up um, the security associated with it. Increased visibility. So, okay, everything's stuck at a port. Everything's stuck in Lakeland at a distribution center or in Memphis in a distribution center. So what do I do about it? Well, if you're a smart supply chain person slash business, you're going to be looking for visibility tools because that's the question. It's not so much when's it going to be here, it's where is it and when's it going to be here. So there are companies out there that are skyrocketing in providing consumers and um, businesses visibility to what's inside the container ship real time at all times when it's moving, when it's going to be at birth, when it's going to be unloaded. So there's a lot more visibility tools that are coming out there because that's the demand by business. They want to know where their stuff is. If I can't have it, I at least want to know where it is. Absolutely fascinating. Elaine, thanks so much for sharing your expertise. Thank you, Tom. It's been great being with you this morning. Thanks to all of you for listening. We welcome your ideas for future episodes. Please visit MyUSF or directly at usf.edu slash InsideUSF to share your suggestions. 
Special thanks to our production team at WUSF Public Media. Our theme music, a song called Black Bucket Stump, is courtesy of Jack Wilkins, director of jazz studies in our School of Music, and comes from his CD, The Blue and Green Project, on Summit Records. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on MyUSF or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Copyright 2021, the University of South Florida.